Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast. This is your co-host, Ari Mizell, and Nick is on location in Iceland currently. He's working with the Icelandic government to make them more efficient. Uh, no, not quite. Uh, but I do have Cameron Harold here, who is, well, well, we'll introduce him through the conversation, but Cameron has helped people succeed in ways that a lot of people would never even understand in their lifetime. Uh, he's the author of Double Double. He is the back pocket COO. Amazing guy. So Cameron, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. It's funny. I was like, I was looking at, cause I was saying, I mean, I wasn't looking at your story. I know your story and I was trying to figure out the best way to intro you and I just, it just all came out. So uh, when, when you introduce yourself, what do you tell people you do? I tell people that I help entrepreneurs make their dreams happen. Okay. And then when they say, wow, well, what does that mean? I uh, typically work behind the scenes coaching entrepreneurs or CEOs, and I give them the tools and systems to help them be more efficient, grow faster, really how to, how to get more done with less people faster, but on an operational and culture side of a business. So I teach them how to run companies. Yeah. Awesome. And then, so what stage of company are you typically working with? It's usually kind of 50 employees to 500 tends to be my sweet spot. So, you know, if you're about three or 4 million in revenue up to about 50 million in revenue and you want to 10X that, that tends to be the group that I work most with. Although I, I'm coaching um, the second in command at Sprint worldwide. I've done some work with the CEO of Sprint as well. And I've done some work with a monarchy over in the Middle East. So, uh, but my, my sweet spot tends to be the five to $50 million company. For those who may not be familiar, why is that? I mean, that's a big range on the face of it. Um, and obviously maybe, well, maybe a company that's below five is, too early or, or, you know, what, why, what is it about that range? So when you, when you're in kind of the one to 5 million range, some of the teams aren't big enough to really start applying a lot of the real true growth systems. They might have a few jack of all trades, master of none. They haven't really started to build out a team. They're probably kind of getting ready to. Um, and my fee structures are set at a point now where a lot of the smaller companies just simply can't afford me anymore. Um, so the, you know, the larger companies tend to, and then I don't really want to work with the big corporate groups. You know, I've done some work with banks and big corporations, but um, my sweet spot is really companies that are truly entrepreneurial, want to stay entrepreneurial, want to embrace mm -hmm. entrepreneurial systems. And then once you get to around the 50 million range, you've probably got an executive team that are seasoned that have you know, been doing this for a while. So they might already bring in some of the depth and systems that I'd be introducing them to. I see. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And so, and that's, that's interesting about being entrepreneurial and staying entrepreneurial. It's actually something that we I wouldn't say struggle with, but it's something that we've, we've had to work on quite a bit in our own company. And, and we find ourselves sort of inevitably doing things that feel a little bit more corporate sometimes. Like we do OKRs now with all of our employees every quarter. And for people who don't know, that's a objectives and key results. So it, it, it's like a very corporate kind of thing. But at the same time, to me, it felt very corporate when we started doing that. We're like, okay, we're going to have a quarterly review. And when I said that, I like office space starts playing in my mind. But it's, it's helpful and it's important, you know, yeah, I, I, don't see, I don't see those things as corporate if they're done in the right way. I think too often the big corporates might manage everything and measure everything. And reality is they've got all this data, but you're not doing anything. Whereas OKRs are very, very simple, focused. Um, it's, and it is how to get more done with less people faster. It's very similar to a sports team where they measure each of the independent people and they tell them what their goals are and they drive towards that. So I think OKRs are, are a fantastic way to grow. What are some of the big problems that you see a lot of those companies encountering when they're trying to grow, the, the mistakes that they're making that you can fix? Sure. Well, well, one is actually the reason why I wrote my second book, Meeting Suck, which just came out about three or four weeks ago. And 
the reality is people always walk around saying meetings suck and no meetings don't suck at all. We suck at running meetings. No one really has any training on how to run meetings, how to attend meetings, how to participate while they're there. And we need to have meetings. We need to have face-to-face meetings. We need to have in-person or over video, but we need to meet to be able to discuss and move things forward and have debate and, and share ideas. We need to have them. We just need to run them in a much better way. So really understanding how to run highly effective meetings is number one, or, or is a very big current push of mine. The number one thing, though, that I think most organizations need is much more clarity on the vision of where they're taking the company. You know, I call it a vivid vision. I covered it in chapter one of Double Double. The idea is, is getting that almost internal movie that the entrepreneur has in their mind of what their company looks like three years out and describing their company in a four or five page written document that describes in vivid detail what your company looks like three years in the future and then doing one year plans to figure out how to help you get there. So it's really documenting what you see. And that way you can get everybody on the same page. That's one of the bigger issues you're seeing. And so that I I imagine that that's one of the big issues with a lot of entrepreneurs is that they have a vision, they have an idea, but getting it out so that other people can have a clear idea of what they want is, is, is challenging. I mean, right. I mean, that's kind of what you're saying too, right? Exactly. And, And really what you're trying to do is get your customers, your suppliers and your employees to really see what you can see. So everyone can operate completely on instinct. And if the entrepreneur is the only one who sees where they're going and they don't share it in enough detail, they're often trying to manage people or hold them accountable or getting frustrated because everyone doesn't see what they can see. Right. So share it with them. Give them a, a vision, a literally a four-page description of the entire company in its finished state three years from now. And then every sentence can be reverse engineered. You can figure out what to do to make that sentence come true. Very similar to building a home. You know, if you're going to build a home, you would never hire a contractor and say, here's a million dollars, I'll see you in a year. Right. You would give them pictures of what you want their home to look like and photos and sketches, and then they would create blueprints to make your vision come true, and then they would hand the blueprints to the employees and everyone would be on the same page. So it's literally like building a home. Yeah. And it is funny because I do see that a lot where people are like, why don't they see it? Like, this is what I asked for. And we see this, I see this on a very small level with, with our company, with the virtual assistants, you know, when a client asks for one thing, but it, it really turns out that they, they definitely want something else or need something else. Uh, and we see that on a very micro level. So yeah, I can definitely see how that makes for an issue. But if someone is not good at necessarily portraying or, or I guess transferring that vision, like what is the process that you take them through to, to do that, to get that out? And, and again, I cover it and we can give it to all of your listeners as well for free, that chapter one. Um, but basically, the idea is this. go off site for about a half a day and just do a mind map describing every aspect of your company three years in the future. Describe customer service, marketing, IT, engineering, describe every area of the org chart three years from now as if it was already built out. Describe your meeting rhythms, describe your, your um, OKRs that you measure by, describe your culture, describe what the media is writing about you and what your customers are saying about you and what your employees are saying about you without figuring out how you got there, describe what you want it to look and feel like. And and if you do a mind map, that'll give you enough to do your first written draft, your first rough draft. When you get a really good, strong three or four page rough draft, then you can hand it to a writer, you know, somebody like someone on your team that's a really good, proper copywriter, and they can make it jump off the page. And then you simply add some graphic design elements to it as well. I've got lots of great samples if anybody wants to see those as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're going to try to link to that now. And then is that something where, like, can that change? The only time it really changes is, is if there's a massive, massive shift where, you know, let's say a global financial crisis and you need to just change your company or uh, a law is changed. You know, I had a, a friend of mine 
who had about a $150 million company. And literally one of the laws changed in his country where the structure that he used to build the entire company was no longer valid. And his whole company just got wiped out. So yes, your vision needs to change then. But for the most part, no, you really don't need to change it. You just kind of bob and weave along that path a little bit. You know, I know a little bit more about this than, than the listeners. So I'm, I'm going to ask questions that I, I know the answers to a little bit. But with this image, I mean, you, you really, you're displaying this. Like people can see it and it's a part of like their, their daily work in some cases. That's right. Yeah. So you're actually giving a copy of it to every employee, yeah. every employee, every customer, every supplier. And every quarter, you remind them all to reread it. Every quarter, when you're working on your quarterly plan for the company, you look at it and decide which sentences you can work on this quarter. And then every quarter, you highlight in green which sentences have now come true. So you can literally see this Word document becoming over the quarters and over the course of a year or two, becoming more and more complete. Very much like building a home where you start with the foundation, you put up the walls, you put in the plumbing and electrical, you start seeing the home take shape towards that eventual picture of the finished home. Do you have your own venture right now that you're, you're doing this with? Or? I do, actually, yeah. I'm working on a, a venture called the COO Alliance. And the, the whole idea with the COO Alliance was there's lots of groups that focus on growing the entrepreneur. You know, YPO and EO and Vistage and the Genius Network and Mastermind Talks and Maverick and all these amazing organizations where entrepreneurs can learn and grow. And then there's organizations for marketers and for IT professionals and engineers but there's never been an organization in place for the second in command. And it's really a very critical role. It's almost, it's partially misunderstood, but it's also a little bit forgotten. So I'm putting together a group. Uh, we've got 30 people that are now signed up for the first year. And it's an organization exclusively for the second in command. Entrepreneurs are not allowed in the room. Okay. So, and, and I think that's worth uh, sort of uh, clarifying here too a little bit is that you, I've, seen, I've seen a lot of companies now that have a CEO and they have a CFO, but they don't have a COO. Right? And it's like, you, you so they, it, it's so obvious, like, that's what you obviously need. You need someone doing this in operations. And so why, like, why is that? Or I mean, well, in some, some cases, the COO may have a different title too. So it, yeah. it's like a CFO or a controller or a VP of finance. In some organizations, it might be a COO or a general manager or a VP of operations, maybe the second in command. Um, or it could even be like a chief marketing officer who's really the second in command operationally for the CEO. So it's just deciding who is kind of that de facto, you know, operations person. I think of it more of a yin yang approach that you really have to have the, you know, that true partnership between the vision person and then the person who's actually focused on execution and operations. Do you ever see like a, a crossover? I mean, obviously you're seeing a crossover, but how often are you seeing that there's like that crossover and there's a like, because to me, it feels like the COO sometimes has to wear a lot of different hats and has to get into a lot of different areas. There's actually an article from about 15 years ago called The Misunderstood Role of the COO. And it was um, an article from Harvard Business Review. And the, the basic idea was, you know, you could have a very outward facing COO or very inward facing. You could have one that is very operationally focused or engineering and systems focused, marketing and sales focused. You could have someone who's very analytical. So the, the role can be very different depending on the strengths of the CEO and the passions of the CEO. You know, it's kind of like the typical husband and wife relationship where there's the blue jobs and the pink jobs or the his roles and the her roles in raising the family. Very similar to the CEO and their, their partner, their second in command is you almost divide and conquer together. So it can be very, very different. Uh, and that's what's really cool about the COO Alliance is we have these individuals come to Scottsdale three times a year and they work on the idiosyncrasies between the relationship. They share best practices with each other. 
And then they learn that, you know, there is a safe space for them to actually explore and build their, their relationship and their roles. Yeah, absolutely. And so then uh, this is a, a bit of a specific question, but I feel like it's becoming a more general situation with people with companies having more and more remote workforces. How do you see that affecting culture and, and growth, I guess, in general? It's huge. And, and so I'm a huge proponent of it as well. In fact, I, um, I told somebody about your business the other day because he's got a fantastic company and he kept talking about needing to hire people. And I said, no, you don't need to hire people. You have a bunch of projects and tasks that need to get done. That doesn't mean to hire somebody. It means right. finding people to do those things. So fractional workforces, hiring experts that are remote that um, is a big thing. So then it's learning how do you manage them? How do you, how do you support them? How do you, um, how do you find them? Um, how do you, you know, integrate them? How do you build relationships with them? All really very new tools. So Gen Y is especially adapted to that. They get it. They're, they're wired that way. But Gen X and the baby boomers, you know, anybody between really 35 and, and 75 that are in the workforce, um, really are having to learn this. So they're adopting wow. technology like Asana and Basecamp and Zoom and, you know, uh, Slack and Trello, like really starting to learn those technologies to be able to to leverage those fractional workforces. Yeah. And, and, but, and also as far as like building culture too, do you see that as a challenge or as a plus or? I, I think it's just, a, it's, just, it's just different. One of the ways I build culture is video. You know, I do all of my coaching with CEOs globally over video. You know, yeah. first morning I had a 90 minute call with the second in command of sprint and we were laughing and talking to each other and we could see each other. That's culture, you know, aligning people with vision and core and purpose and their OKRs is culture. Um, you know, bringing people in once in a while into events is, is part of building that culture as well. So it's just different. Yeah, no, and it's so we do a weekly Zoom with our entire team on Mondays, and I, I call it our Brady Bunch call because it's you know Zoom, you got like all the boxes, and I love it. And it's really it's good, it's important. Uh, and also, I'm I, I I take the stance as well that you know you're no matter where you're based, if you're in New York or San Francisco or London, whatever, there's no the odds that you're going to have the best graphic designer and the best financial person and everyone in that area is like impossible, right? So you have to let people work from where they are. And not only that, I think there's, there's a bit of an observer effect what we see where certain people just work better if they're in their pajamas in their kitchen and they do world-class work. But if you take them out of that, it's like suffocating them. Well, the reality is that if you're in a typical work environment in an office, you're only spending about 30 to 50% of your time working on your unique ability. Right. The other 30 to 50% of the time you're working in meetings, reply all, getting CC'd, getting involved in all these things that you don't need to worry about. But if you're truly just working on a project, you're getting that project done. So really giving the projects to experts is, is really the kind of, it's, it's way, way more effective. We just didn't have technology years ago to be able to do that. So you needed to have people in the workforce. You know, email only really started 20 years ago. You know, we take for granted all of this communication, but literally, you know, Google only started 15 years ago. So we didn't have the access to apps only started eight years ago. We just didn't have this. So it, you have to be adopting that te technology. A phrase that I've kind of been using a lot recently, if the rate of change outside your business is greater than the rate of change inside your business, you're out of business. And I think we need to understand that this new way of doing business is the way. Um, we just need to adopt it faster. That's a very good point. You know, and, and being in a more iterative environment, I think, in a more startup-like environment, even if it's not actually a startup, I think it's important to that because it allows you to be able to shift and not get too like stuck in your ways necessarily. So, no, I think that's great. OKRs are so powerful because nobody can hide. 
you know? Yeah, no, it's actually proved to be, I like, I was, I was, I wasn't against it, but when we first came up with the idea to do it or thought we should do it, I was like, eh, I don't know how that's going to work, but it's actually been really helpful uh, because it's also one of those few, like, just like you said, you can't hide. It's one of the very few opportunities I get to do one-on-one with everybody in our team. The last question that we always like to ask people is what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? And you can interpret that however you like. Um, one, I'm using an app called commit to three. So I actually commit my daily top three goals for business with a guy named Joe Polish and he yep. commits his daily top three to me. So we share with each other every day. And I also commit my daily personal top three goals with a friend, Gordy Bufton and Gordy shares his daily was with me. So really committing your goals to another person on a daily basis, you'll get traction. Uh, second would be vulnerability. Just be willing to say, you know what? I don't know this, or I don't like this, or I'm scared, or I don't know how to do this stuff. The world likes to help people. We're hardwired as humans to help other people. So, you know, if you can just say, I need help, people will rally around you. And then third is vision. Just really share your vision with people so they know where you're going. They know what it looks like and they'll actually conspire to help make that happen for you. Awesome. Those are, those are fantastic. So uh, Cameron, we're going to have links to everything that's shown us your books and, uh, and everything we discussed, but is there one place particular you'd like people to go to find out more? If they go to um, CameronHerald.com, it's H-E-R-O-L-D.com, or the COO Alliance, both of those are uh, the, the core areas. Okay, thank you. You're welcome, Ari. Thanks for having me. See you in a month or so at the events, too. Absolutely.